about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 10, 25, and I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletins. Uh, the white page has the outline written out with the verses, uh, as well as on the back it has study guide questions that you can use in your own study. And the, many of the life groups also uh, use those in their discussions. Jesus says, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that he's a teacher and those who follow him are his disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is somebody who learns from, somebody who is a student of, someone who is an apprentice of their teacher. And what is the goal of a disciple? The goal of a disciple is to become like their teacher, to learn from them and to become more and more like them. Not only is Jesus the teacher, but he is also here, he's called the master. The Greek word here is kurios or Lord. And who does the master or Lord interact with? Well, a master has slaves. Those who are owned by and serve their master. And so those who are believers in Jesus are both his disciples as he is the teacher and they are his slaves as he is the master or Lord. Jesus said in Luke 17.10, So you too, when, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. And so what does a slave do? He simply does what his master commands. The master says, do this. The slave says, yes, sir, and he does it. That is his duty. That is his responsibility. Now, you might wonder, maybe you haven't read these verses like that in your translation. You might wonder, this sounds a little bit different. And those two translations are the New American Standard, which we don't use a lot. It's a good translation, a very literal translation. The Greek word that's translated slave in these two verses that we've looked at so far is the Greek word doulos. And unfortunately, going back to the King James, the translators had chosen to translate doulos not as slave because that just seemed so harsh. That seemed so unappealing that they translated servant, which just seems a little bit nicer, a little bit of a softer word. And so many of the translations translate doulos as servant. Well, the Greek language has another word for servant, which is diakonos, and that means servant. The two, the two words are related, but they're different. Suppose I go to a restaurant somewhere today, and a waiter or a servant comes and serves me. They're serving me, the restaurant pays them, and they are my servant for my meal. Are they my slave? No. <laughs> They're not my slave. They're just serving me. They're my servant. There's a big difference between being a slave and a servant. A slave is somebody who's owned by a master. They are owned by someone. The master gives them orders. And so there's a, a great difference between slaves and servants. The Bible teaches us that everyone in the world is a slave. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. That's your two choices. Everybody is a slave to sin or a slave to God. Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, 
Whether you are slave to sin, which leads to death, that's choice number one, or choice number two, or obedience, obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. So those are the two choices. When somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they're set free from being a slave to sin, and they enter into becoming a slave of Jesus Christ, a slave or bondservant. Now, we don't use the word bondservant a lot today, but it means slave. It means exactly the same. And so the Greek word doulos really should be translated as slave, could also be translated bondservant. Every believer is a bondservant or slave of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a law in the Old Testament. It's found in Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 17. I don't have time to read it this morning, but it really beautifully illustrates what being a bondservant really is all about, being a bondservant of Jesus. And the law had to do with a Hebrew who had another Hebrew as their slave. And the law stated that one Hebrew could be the slave of another, one was the master, one was the slave, for six years. But on the seventh year, the master had to set the slave free. You couldn't keep him slave indefinitely. And when the slave was set free by his master, if he truly loved his master and he didn't want to be set free, he wanted to continue serving his master, he could tell his master. And his master then would take an awl and pierce the slave's ear, make a hole in his ear, which signified that he had chosen, the slave had chosen of his own free will to remain a slave to his master for the rest of his life, a bondservant. And so in the same way, we that have been set free from being slaves to sin have chosen to follow Jesus as our Lord, as our master, as our bondservant for life and eternity. And so a bondservant of Jesus Christ is not a super believer. It's not a special class of believers. Every believer is a bondservant or a slave of Jesus. And one day when we get to heaven, every true believer is going to hear the words of Jesus. Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful. What, what word do you think was in the Greek there? We say servant, but it's doulos. Slave, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, kurios. And so in this series, Bondservant, we're going to look at growing up as disciples, as bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now today, my message is entitled, Take Up Your Cross. We're going to look at a passage in Luke 14 where Jesus teaches on the cost of being his disciple. We need to understand what a disciple of Jesus does. Our story begins in verse 25. It said, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. And so our story begins with large crowds, a crowd consisting of children, men and women, were following along Jesus as he traveled through Palestine. The crowds heard Jesus teach. They saw him heal the sick. They observed when he performed miracles. Probably many in the crowd thought, I'm following Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus because they were physically following along with him. But Jesus' words next make it clear that it takes much more to be a disciple of Jesus than to just tag along with the crowd. A disciple loves Jesus more than anything else. 
Verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's what's called a hard saying of Jesus. People call it a hard saying because people scratch their heads and say, that doesn't really sound like Jesus. I mean, I'm supposed to hate my own family? Why would he say that? Now one of the principles of proper biblical interpretation is we interpret the difficult passages in light of the ones that are easy to understand. The ones we know beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, what they say. And as we read God's word, uh, Jesus in other parts of the scripture teach us in many places to love our neighbors, to love our children, to love our wives, even to love our enemies. And so we need to interpret the difficult in view of what's clear. So what does Jesus mean here? Jesus means that our love for him must be so strong. Our love for him must be so absolute that our love for others in comparison would seem almost like hate. And so if there's any, any decision to be made between am I going to love and follow Jesus versus love and follow somebody else, I choose to follow Jesus. For example, if your faith and Jesus required him, required you to obey him in an area of life, and your family disagreed. I don't think you should do that. Who would you follow? Jesus says, you're going to follow me. You're going to, in a sense, hate the opinions of your family because I make it clear this is what you're supposed to do. In Muslim countries today, becoming a believer means that you have to turn your back on your family. Oftentimes, you're going to be ostracized by your family. In fact, your family may turn you over to the authorities to be killed if you let them know that you've become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, not only must we love Jesus more than our families, we must love him, Jesus says, more than our lives. We must be ready to die to our own desires, even to our own lives, in order to be a disciple of Jesus a disciple of Jesus not only loves him more than anything, he follows Jesus wherever he leads. And he's, uh, Jesus says in verse 27, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so here Jesus describes this hatred of your own life apart from Jesus. I hate the things I do apart from Jesus as carrying our cross. Of course, Jesus carried his cross he sacrificed his life on that cross for you and for me. Now, today, the cross is kind of cool, isn't it? Everybody wears a cross. Cross around necks, cross in your ears, cross on your shirts. It's just kind of a cool thing. Even people whose lifestyles clearly demonstrate they're not followers of Jesus have crosses tattooed all over or whatever. But in the New Testament times, the cross wasn't cool at all. The cross was an instrument, a, a cruel instrument of execution. And people from time to time would see in a public manner somebody crucified on a cross and dying a very painful, slow death. And so when Jesus said to carry a cross, uh, it meant something different to the people back then than it does today. Now, Carrying our cross, it doesn't just mean wearing a cross necklace, although there's nothing 
Nothing wrong with that. To carry a cross is to die. To die to following your own plans. To die to following your own desires in life. Giving them up in order to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus' example. We obey what he tells us to do. We obey God's word. We listen to the voice of Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit. Taking up our cross and following him. That's what a disciple does. Jesus has a plan and purpose for your life. I can say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Every person sitting here, Jesus has a plan and purpose for your life. And a disciple of Jesus follows that plan. It's a life of sacrifice, and it's a life of devotion to your Master. I heard a story about a man who ordered plans to build a birdhouse. And unknown to the man, the plans the company sent to him were plans to build a sailboat. And so the man took out the parts and began to put together this kit, which he thought was a birdhouse. And it just didn't make sense to him. He just couldn't figure out how a bird could even get into this thing. And he got so frustrated, he finally packed the kit up and sent it back to the company. and said, this, is just, this doesn't make sense to me. It's not working. And the company... Uh, wrote back to him, sent him a refund, and said to him, well, if you think it was difficult for you, you should have seen the man who got your plans trying to sail a birdhouse. (laughs) It, It just didn't work. And you know, when we try to follow our own plans for our lives, it ends up like trying to sail a birdhouse or getting a bird to live in a sailboat. It just doesn't work. We come up with all kinds of plans for our lives, and then we wonder why things go wrong. In fact, if you look around you in life, look around you in society, the reason that so many people have so many issues in their life is they're following the wrong plans. They're following their own plans rather than God's plan for their life. Jesus Christ has a master plan for your life. He wants you to follow it. Love him. Follow wherever he leads. And I guarantee you that you'll have the very best life you possibly could have as a disciple of Jesus following his plan. Not only must we follow God's plan for our lives, follow Jesus' plan, we need to count the cost of being Jesus' disciple. Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? And so Jesus here gives an example of somebody wanting to build a tower, maybe a watchtower, some big building project. And a wise person would write down the plans for this tower. How many stones do I have to gather together? What is it going to cost to get those stones? How many laborers do I need? How many ladders do I need and scaffolds to put the stones together? How long is it going to take? They're going to figure out how to build the tower and how much it would cost and if he had enough resources, if he had enough money to finish the tower. That's simple advanced planning. And so Jesus is going to apply this illustration to a person who's deciding whether to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like building a tower. And what he's saying is if you want to be my disciple, you need to think about 
in advance, are you willing? Do you have what it takes to pay the cost to be my disciple? To build this tower with me? And as we'll see as we go on, to be Jesus' disciple, it's going to cost us everything that we have. Jesus goes on with his story about building the tower. The builder needs to follow through on his commitment. He says, if he, speaking of the tower builder, lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. And so the builder would start his tower. He'd lay the foundation. He'd get a few layers of stones high end. Oh, I didn't know it was going to cost this much. I've run out of money. And here this half-finished tower sits. And everyone who goes past is going to ridicule him. Jesus is saying here, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, follow through on your commitment. Count the cost. Don't just start and then when the going gets tough, when you don't want to give any more, drop out. Follow through on your commitment. Don't fall back into your old way of life. Finish what you've begun as a follower of Jesus because others are watching your life. So Jesus was saying that if if the tower builder is not able to finish, the tower sits there half finished, that others are going to come by, ridicule, and say, this fellow began to build and is not able to finish. And so other people would ridicule the builder. People watch. You know, people are watching you. People are watching your life. And if you've said that you've become a believer in Jesus Christ, they're keeping an eye on you. They're watching to see if you're going to finish what you've started, if you're going to continue to walk the walk that you have chosen to follow. And if you fall away from your faith, not only will you be ridiculed, not not only will you be called a hypocrite, but people will use your example to reject Christ for themselves. And so it will have a negative impact. And Jesus is saying, count the cost of being my disciple, it's going to be a high cost. Make sure you have what it takes to finish the plan that I have for your life. I think today, oftentimes, we've made it too easy to, quote, become a Christian. People don't understand the cost of becoming a believer. I heard an example of a man named John Oros. And he spoke about his experience in Romania. He was a church leader a number of years ago when Romania was still under communism. And he would speak, he would preach in the church in which he led. People would come forward to become believers. And John would tell them, well, that's good that you've come forward. But you have to understand there's a, there's a big price to be paid if you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Many things can happen to you. And it may well be very difficult for you. Some of the people would not continue to follow. Others would sign up for a discipleship class. And he would teach his discipleship class. And at the end, many people decided to be baptized, to follow Jesus' command, Jesus' example, to be baptized as a public expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. And John would take this group aside and and speak to them and say, well, that's nice. You have to understand that when you give your testimony, when you tell others how you become a believer in Jesus Christ at this baptism, in the crowd are going to be communist informers. And they're going to write down your name. On the next day, your problems are going to start. 
And so you need to count the costs. You may be demoted. You may lose your job. You may lose your friends. In fact, you may even lose your life. You need to be sure that you want to follow this course. And yet many said, even if I lose everything, I want to follow Jesus. We need to ask ourselves this morning, are we like those courageous Romanian brothers and sisters? Are we willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Are we willing to pay the price to follow Him and to finish His course for our life, even though we may encounter difficulties, even though we may encounter opposition, even though we may encounter persecution? When you become a believer, what it means is that everything that you have is now Jesus. Jesus owns everything that we have. He owns our families, our houses, our jobs, our money, our time, our talents, our lives. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, giving up everything to Him. Not only must we count the cost of being Jesus' disciple, but we must consider the power of King Jesus. Verse 31, Jesus gives us another story, another illustration. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And so Jesus here gives us another illustration about counting the cost of being his disciple. In this illustration, a weaker king is considering whether he can oppose a stronger king, 10,000 to 20,000, two to one, who's coming against him. And Jesus is saying, if this weaker king is wise, he's going to think this thing through before he engages in battle. You think it's a wise thing with 10,000 men to fight a 20,000-man army? They don't think so. Now, who do these kings represent? Well, essentially, I believe we represent the weaker king. And Jesus represents the powerful king. Any controversy about who's more powerful, me or Jesus? I think Jesus is the more powerful king. And if we don't submit to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we've chosen to oppose to be an enemy of Jesus Christ. You're either a friend or you're a foe. A lot of things the Bible teaches are very simple. It's either one or the other. And so the only reasonable course of action is to surrender to Jesus' terms of peace. Jesus goes on in verse 32, says, If he is not able, speaking of the weaker king, as he decides he's not able to oppose this stronger king with a two-to-one army advantage, he's going to send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. And so the weaker king is going to decide, I can't win this battle. There's just no way. And I don't want to be wiped out and all my men destroyed and killed. And so I'm going to send a delegation to this more powerful king and ask, what are your terms of peace? Let's, uh, let's compromise. Let's, let's uh, not fight this battle. And we as mere humans are in no position to oppose King Jesus. And so we should see what Jesus' terms of peace are. You're an enemy of the cross. Today, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, what are Jesus' terms of peace? Well, Jesus' terms of peace are simply total and unconditional surrender. That's what Jesus requires. We must give up everything to be Jesus' disciple. He says in verse 33, In the same way as these two kings, any of you who does not give up 
everything, underline that word in the verse, everything he has cannot be my disciple. And so as the weaker king had to surrender to the stronger king, so Jesus says that we must give up everything we have in order to be his disciple. What are Jesus' terms of peace? It's simply to believe in him and to submit our lives to him as our Lord and Master, to give up everything in total surrender, becoming a disciple, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. You see, often we say we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, and we don't think, again, the word Lord means Master. It's curios. That means I am a slave of Jesus. We, don't, we say Jesus is Lord, but we don't say we're slaves of Jesus. In fact, the New Testament writers all the way through the New Testament, when they say, I'm a bondservant, that means I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. What he says, I will do. So that's the only wise course of action when you consider the power of King Jesus. A couple of adventurers, they were rafting on the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe. Anybody know where that is? Like, <laughs> It's at the base of Victoria Falls. Victoria Falls is the largest falls in the world. And at the base of those falls are some of the fastest white water rapids in the whole world. In the United States, I'm told that you cannot raft in white water rapids above what they call a class five. And these rapids in the Zambezi River are, can top class eight. And so they're extremely violent. So these Adventurers got into the raft and their guide was giving them instructions. They began to strap on protective clothing. They put on a crash helmet. And as they sat into the raft, the guide said to, him, said to them, he said, when the raft flips, and uh, they kind of looked and he didn't, say, he didn't say if the raft flips, he said, when the raft flips, stay in the rough water. Don't be tempted to swim to the calm water at the side of the river, at the banks of the river, because in the calm water, the crocs wait for you. And they're large and very hungry. And so stay in the rough water with me as your guide. You're going to wonder how I'm bringing this around, okay? So uh, in the same way, when you make your choice to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to go on the adventure, the raft ride of your lifetime. There's nothing like it. And Jesus is going to take you into some very rough water. Following him isn't going to be just a float down the Merrimack, okay? It's going to be some very rough water. And you're going to be tempted to bail out and swim for calm water away from Jesus in the side of the river, but what is lurking there? Satan's crocs. And they're going to gobble you up if you don't stay with Jesus. And so stay in the rough water as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It might not be the easiest ride in the world, but it's going to be the most fun, the most fulfilling, the most adventurous life you could have. And Jesus has promised he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And so a disciple of Jesus Christ loves Jesus more than anything. He follows Jesus wherever he leads. He's a bondservant. He's a slave of Jesus who counts the cost of following him 
and he follows through on his commitment. He surrenders all he has, all he is, to King Jesus. And what do you gain when you give up everything to Jesus? What do you gain when you become a disciple of Jesus, when you continue to follow through? Well, you gain everything. You gain an opportunity to walk through life with Jesus as your guide, to live out Jesus' grand adventure for your life. And when this life is over and the next life begins, you begin an eternal adventure with Jesus that's going to last forever. And so a lot of people today think that they are Christians, but really all they want is a ticket to heaven. I just want to go to heaven and I want to live my life the way I want on this earth. They never counted the cost. What the Bible teaches, what Jesus teaches here, that is that only disciples of Jesus truly have a ticket to heaven. In order to become a disciple of Jesus and to go to heaven, you must be willing to give him everything you have, everything you are, to become a bondservant, to become a slave of Jesus Christ. What he says, we say, yes, Lord, I will do. And so today we're going to pray a simple prayer. If you're not sure that you're a disciple, that you're not a slave of Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to pray with me, giving your life to Him as your Savior and Lord. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. Pray something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I followed my own plan for my life rather than yours. I've been the master of my own fate, and I've not submitted my life to you. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, paid the penalty for my sins that I might be forgiven. Come into my life. I believe, Jesus, you rose from the grave. You're alive today, and I commit my life to following you as my Savior and as my Lord, my Master. I will follow you as your slave, as your bondservant, for all my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.